Hello, and welcome to the Keys to Spiritual Fulfillment podcast, where we will identify and explore ways that we can become the best humans we can be. Compassionate, wise, loving, confident, and courageous. I'm Reverend Dr. Arvid Straube, your host, and I've been helping people grow spiritually for more than 40 years. I've been a congregational leader, a trained spiritual companion, and a meditation coach. And I'm a lifelong student of spiritual practices and traditions. Today, I want to talk about a really important topic that doesn't get enough attention. I want to talk about spiritual dead ends. So many of us get stuck. I think maybe all of us at some time in their lives might get stuck in these spiritual dead ends. And I think one great tragedy is that some of us get stuck for an entire lifetime. So my good friend, Reverend Bill Half, a Unitarian minister, talked about the five delusory Ps. So we're going to be talking about those as spiritual dead ends. Now, there's certain deep and existential questions that we can ask ourselves, and we usually do. Who am I? Who am I really? Who am I deep down? Why am I alive? What am I going to do with this one and precious life? What does that life mean? You know, and people have given all kinds of different answers to that question. And right now, in this time in history, in this culture, people are no longer trusting the traditional answers of traditional religions as much as they used to. But here's what I think. You know, we talked about our deepest identity, our deepest core, which is to be an authentic human being. As the 19th century theologian William Ellery Channing said, we have within us a likeness to God. Or as the Quakers assert, we have within us a divine spark. Or as is in Mahayana Buddhism, a Buddha nature. We are, at our core, compassionate, wise, loving, confident, and courageous. And that is an an ability and a potential and a birthright that we can nurture. So this is something that just continues. Now, a lot of what's happening today, and I think what's a lot of our problems as a world and as a culture is what philosophers called nihilism. Nihilism means there is no ultimate meaning. Nothing matters. There's nothing that's bigger than us. You get to decide for yourself what to do, how to live. It's all on you. It doesn't matter. Life is absurd, said the existential philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. Or, as the bumper sticker might say, life is hard, and then you die. You no wonder there's an epidemic of clinical depression. If that's all there is, living according to our whims and our drives. Ram Das, the spiritual teacher, and others talk about how to approach life as in the motto, love, 
serve, and remember. Love. Love yourself. Love others. Reach out in love. Love creation. All that is. Serve. Look for opportunities to serve others. To help them. To make their lives better. To be generous. And to remember. To remember who we are. Some people would say to remember our deepest reality. Some people would say remember God. But there's no particular theology required here. And many people can have that realization no matter what their conception of ultimate reality is. In a later podcast, I'm going to talk about not your grandmother's God, what the nature of ultimate reality might be. That's for the future. So love, serve, and remember. In Hinduism, there is this, there's a word for this authentic part of ourselves, which is in, West, in Western thinking sometimes called the soul. It's called the Atman, A-T-M-A-N. And then the reality of all that is, the ground of being, the reality not of all that is, but all that could be, is called Brahman. So there's a motto, Tat Dvam Asi, you are that. Your soul, your authentic self, is identical to the ground of being. And we won't be satisfied until we live it. As St. Augustine prayed, Thou hast made us restless, O God, and we cannot rest until we rest in Thee. We cannot rest until we rest in our deepest, most authentic selves. There is a social psychologist named James Fowler who talked about the different stages of faith. And, of course, in order to do that, he had to talk about what a definition of faith was. And he reminds us that the, the idea that faith equals belief is a fairly new meaning of that word faith. There is another meaning of the word faith that we all know and use, which is that faith is what we trust. Faith is what we ultimately trust. I have faith in my friend. I have faith in my spouse. I have faith in the goodness, the potential for goodness of humanity. And what people truly trust is what their faith really is. So some people could say say their faith is they're Catholic, but they, they're hedonists, they live for pleasure. Or they could say, my faith is Presbyterian, but what they really live for is possessions and materialism. So we get sidetracked. We trust the wrong things. We have faith where faith doesn't deserve to be. They're spiritual dead ends. And if we use our precious human moments to pursue these spiritual dead ends, we live an unlived life.
And there's really a good bit of, um, of unanimity in the great spiritual traditions of humanity of, of what they are. So my good late friend, Reverend Bill Howe, talked about them in a clever way. He called them the five delusory P's. Words starting with P. Possessions, power, prestige, profit, and pleasure. Now, these are all good things in their time and in their place and in the correct context. But they are not ultimate ends in themselves. And if we live as if they are, we suffer. And we don't realize the potential that we have. And they, it becomes tragic then when we make these the purpose for living. They don't survive the death of the body, and they don't lead to happiness when we are alive. They are not worth sacrificing a precious human birth for. So let's start with possessions. You know, our culture is, and really our economy is based on the desire for more and more and more stuff. So we end up in kind of a vicious cycle, a a hamster wheel. So we want more stuff and we work harder so that we can have more stuff. And then we have a bunch of stuff and we don't have enough time to play with the stuff we have. But in that constant struggle to earn and get more stuff, we ignore things that are really more important and fulfilling. We ignore our children, we ignore our friends, we ignore our families, we cut off options and choices in life that could be more fulfilling. Many, many people spend more time maintaining their possessions like their cars, their houses, their lawns, their collectibles, than in maintaining their most important relationships. When you die, all that stuff will be a problem for other people. It will go to the goodwill or sold in an estate sale or in the trash. And that beautiful human uniqueness will be wasted. And the end result is a bunch of junk. And then there's power. Power is important. You know, we all have power. And power, of course, we know is unjustly divided in our world. But the search for power, the living for power, is like a drug. It's addictive. And it can be quite, quite toxic. All we need to do is look at current political situations where people who have been elected by the people, to serve the people, we can see, are way more interested in power over their political opponents than solving any problems that the people are suffering from. If we're addicted to power, then we fight even to hold on to small power. We've all had the ugly experience of having 
a bureaucrat abuse the, abuse the little power that they have. But large amounts of power misused can leave shattered lives behind. We have seen that in our current political situation very clearly. Power, of course, isn't bad in itself. It's a good if it's used for the benefit of others and for the benefit of the whole. Power, then, is meant to be shared. And if we have a lot of power because of our position in life, because of our profession, because of our uh, wealth, then we can use that power for good. So power then becomes a good thing. But unless we use that power to make the world a better place, then all that effort will not only just be wasted, but it will cause a great deal of damage to the collective whole. Prestige is the third delusory P. You know, status, recognition, admiration. None of that is bad in and of itself. But if our lives are devoted to gaining status, recognition, prestige, honors, titles, resume points, the admiration of others, then that isn't enough to base a precious human life on. Our culture is saturated with what's been called by sociologists the Protestant work ethic, which is, you know, that we need to achieve. We need to achieve. We need to achieve. We must achieve in order to justify the right to breathe. And people who haven't achieved a certain amount of whatever are looked down on, blamed. You know, our work can live on after us in good ways and bad. But our names, not very long. And if we spend our lives being a human doing and not a human being, it can be miserable because then we lose out on some of the most precious things that go along with being a human being. Deep relationships and friendships, appreciation of beauty, creativity for the sake of creating, getting close to the core of who we are. The next delusory P is profit, stuff. Not stuff so much, but money. Money. You know, there's a joke that says how many, uh, that, that the Japanese tell, how many truckle-down economists does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is none. The market will take care of changing the light bulb. You know, our culture lives for money and profits. And in certain circles, and more and more circles, it's just okay to set ethics 
and morality and compassion aside because profit is the ultimate, the ultimate goal. There used to be an ethic of goodness and morality and integrity, which is more and more being replaced by an ethic of the marketplace. Can there be greater and greater profits? If so, then it's good. Greed is good. And we've sacrificed this uh, profit motive, this market mentality that's taking over, has sacrificed so much for the greater good. Even the planet, which cannot sustain this way of being, and the civilized quality of life that it takes to thrive as human beings and a human society, all sacrificed in the name of profit. And then there's pleasure. That's the last delusory P. Now, pleasure is a good thing. You know, in Buddhism, a human incarnation is good because it has just the right uh, combination of pleasure and suffering to motivate people to strive for enlightenment. And sometimes I think that because people are too wrapped up in searching for prestige or profit or power, uh, that they don't, they're not pleasure-loving enough. Because, you know, life is a gift. It is not a project. You know, there's an old Jewish tradition that says that when we come to our final judgment, then God will demand of us an accounting of all the legitimate pleasures that we refused to experience in our lifetime. But having pleasure as the end, as an end in itself, is a spiritual dead end. A, pleasure doesn't last. B, there's too much of a temptation to use it to excess. The Korean Zen master, Song San, makes a serious point with a joke. So he's Korean. He said, this body is just a rental car. Someday you'll have to trade in your rental car. My rental car was made in Korea, while some other people's rental cars were made in America or China or France. Perhaps my Korean rental car is not so good, and someday I'll have to trade it in. Maybe in my next life I'll get a German rental car. Nothing lasts. Now, there's a formula that my teacher, Shinzen Young, talks about. It says, without trying to hold on to pleasure, is pleasure times awareness equals fulfillment. And, oh yeah, and you know, most of us know that sex can be a beautiful expression of love in this and the celebration of closeness and relationship and the wonders of of life and what the human body is capable of. But obsession with it has caused great suffering in ourselves and others. And food, of course, is, is a beautiful gift, not just eating to live, but not living to eat either. Food is great and enjoying food, especially with friends and the company of people we love, is a cause for gratitude. But living for food is unhealthy. And of course, initially, alcohol, drugs, 
gambling, spending, seem to be pleasurable. But if, they, if we become addicted to them, then the tragedy for ourselves and those we love is huge. You know, we spend so much time grooming, feeding, and exercising our bodies and getting pleasurable sensations from them. But with our last breath, it's all going to be gone. And we go back to the elements. There's a very good metaphor for who we are. The metaphor of the ocean and the wave. So a wave arises out of the depths of the ocean heading toward the shore. The wave exalts in its power. The energy as it heads toward its destination, but it sees that other waves are smashed on the shore and perish. So the wave starts to worry and be afraid and forgets that the wave is just part of the vast ocean, the ground of being, God, the source, spirit, that's the ocean. Our particular lives, personalities, it's just a manifestation of the ocean. But we cannot leave the ocean. We cannot fall out of the universe. You don't need to believe in a personal God or be a Buddhist to see how that is. You know, we really won't be satisfied with anything but our true selves. We're made in the image of God. We have within us a Buddha nature. There's a spark of the divine within us. Or the virtuous life and complete understanding of being involved in a community in the humanist perception. To love, to serve, and to remember who we are. Life is a gift. It's not a project. It's not a possession. Human life is an amazing opportunity. And it is more than that when we realize that we're part of all that is. This has been Keys to Spiritual Fulfillment podcast with Reverend Dr. Arvid Straubi. Let me respectfully remind you that life and death are of ultimate concern. Time passes swiftly by, and opportunity is lost. Wake up. Wake up. Do not squander your precious life.